If you have your Bibles, I want you to grab it and open up to Romans chapter 13. Um, make your way over there. We're going to be looking at a couple of things. I'm excited to see you, Pastor Joe and Pastor Donna. Welcome back to CIC. Can you all give it up for them? Pastors Emeritus of CIC, we're great that you guys are here, grateful. They'll be with us for fellowship after, so uh, just make sure you say hello and wish them all a happy new year. Uh, Romans chapter 13. As you make your way there, my wife and I recently enrolled our son in this thing called Kids Strong. I don't know if any parents here have ever heard of that or if you've uh, driven by a couple of spots and maybe you've seen it in, in some of the surrounding towns. But this is a program where, you know, I thought at first they just want to take some of my money and, and put my kid to do some physical activity. But it's pretty interesting. Every time, every session, every week, Micah goes and for about an hour, he runs through these guided physical activities and social interactions. And all of the activities, all of the moments where they get to do Q&As and sessions and, and answer questions or make affirmations, all of it is geared to strengthen him, to instill courage within him, and to instill this confidence so that these kids are picking up skills that are going to carry them through and, and, and flow into other areas of their lives. It's really fun to watch. And uh, the great thing is, unlike swim school, I don't have to get in the water with him. I can just kind of you know, go along and encourage, and it's fun. But one thing I'm reminded of, especially this morning, as it's a brand new year, is a little mantra that they repeat each time. Every week, either the beginning or the end of the class, they'll go like this. I'm strong. I'm brave. I can do this. I can do this. And when I hear that, it's, it's, it's funny to see all these little kids shouting out these affirmations, and it's really electrifying when you're in the room. And this time of year, you know, the beginning of the year, is a time where many of us make resolutions, don't we? We make these resolutions because we realize that there's something in our lives that needs to change, something in our circumstances of our lives that just needs a shift. So we set some targets. We make some decisions and we say, this year I'm going to firmly decide to do this. This year I'm going to firmly decide to not do that. And we make these statements. Anybody here ever made one of those? All right. However, let's take a survey real quick. How many of us reach the end of the year riding strong on those resolutions from January 1st? How many? Let, let me see some hands. 80% of us at least? 50%, 25 I got some laughs. Oh my gosh, that's very bleak. <laughs> that's bleak. Someone once said the problem with New Year's resolution is this. Most New Year's resolutions, they're in one year and they go out the next. In one year and you're out with those very same the next. Many of us do not renege, re-enlist, renew the same uh, resolutions. Maybe the lack of results, I don't know, could be a case, could be a cause. Maybe our inability to stick to it uh, could be a reason. Maybe the constant new attempts, I've tried one thing and the next year I try that. I don't even know how many things I've tried already to make it all better. And so whatever the reason for you, many of us, unlike my son at KidStrong, the mantra for us is I can't do this. So what's the point? I can't do this. Why, why go through this exercise? Why am I going to embarrass myself by saying to somebody in public, out loud, I'm going to do X, Y, Z? I'm going to read 
two, three, four books a month this month. I'm going to have a list. Gina did a great job, by the way. I was looking at her post. She read like 16,000 pages this year uh, in her, in her uh, resolution, which was pretty cool. Um, the problem is some of us just do not stick with it. We go into this attitude of it's just not possible. I can't do this. But I'm curious. Maybe could it be that we have a wrong relationship or perception or attitude towards resolutions? Could it be that maybe we need a perspective shift on how we do resolutions? Could it be that while we want our situation to change, if we were to just consider the fact that we're in relationship with God, God wants our character to change? Could it be that while we have a certain change in mind, God has something totally different in mind? I'm convinced that the work that God wants to do in us, church, is a lot greater and is a lot more important. It's a lot more eternal than shedding 25 pounds. The work that God wants to do in us is a lot deeper than getting organized in 2023. The work that God wants to do with us is a lot more critical than learning the newest and trendiest social media platform of today. Some of you guys want to keep up and you feel, all right, this is the year. I'm going to finally catch up and they've changed the platform altogether. See, God wants to do a deeper work in us. I want things to change in my life. God wants me to change. I want a circumstantial change. God wants a character change. You see, most of us don't need a resolution when we come to January 1st and the start of a brand new year. What we need is a transformation. Can someone say amen? A radically different way of living, a different way of approaching life, of going about this Christian walk. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13, he gave the people of Rome a little snippet of that. He was talking about transformation. He wasn't trying to give them a new resolution. He's trying to give them, hey, I want you to change the character of your being. I want you to go in power and grace. I want you to live in a different way. And so Paul talks about this in chapter 13. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. Let's look at three resolutions, if you could say, or three decisions, all right, that I believe will transform your life in 2023, but also beyond. If we could just approach the beginning of the year, not looking at what nuanced thing am I going to do and what crazy obstacle will I be able to accomplish this year. If we could just change the perspective and say, can I make three solid decisions that I know for a fact I can fulfill? Because that's the key. I don't want to give you something that you're going to be like, great, PB. And then, uh, yeah, I gave that up week two, like many of our gym memberships. At the beginning of the year, somebody here needs to repent, of which I am one, and I don't renew my gym membership. It's been several years, maybe decades. But I want you to turn to your neighbor and say to your neighbor, I can do this. And turn to your other neighbor, the one that you ignored and you really need to talk to, say, you can do this. You can do this. Paul spoke in terms that every single one of us can understand. He packaged these decisions around concepts that most of us already do. So tell your neighbor, you can do this. All right. Father, I pray that you would help us and that you would make it simple, make it stick, and Lord, lead us through in Jesus' name. Amen. The spiritual transformation that I want to propose to you for 2023 is very mind-blowing. Here it is. Wake up.
Say, wake up. Clean up. Dress up. Got it? All right, and I think that you guys can all do this because I see everybody here and you guys have clothes on. You guys are actually awake, most of you. It's okay. So, let's look at the first one. First decision towards transformation in 2023. As we approach, if, if we could just change our perspective and decide to do this one thing, can we choose to, one, wake up? Paul says this, verse 11 of chapter 13, and do this, understanding the present time. Thank you, Lonnie. Thank you, Sam. Understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because your salvation is nearer now than we have ever first believed. Wake up. Wake up. Most of us can wake up, can't we? It's what we do after waking up that gets a little bit harder. I don't know if you've heard that little poem that goes, Dear Lord, so far I've done all right today. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty, selfish or overindulgent. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of my bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. So Lord, help me. Most of us can wake up. And that's the exercise regiment routine that most of us uh, are very comfortable in, in subscribing, enlisting, and doing. I go up and down, up and down, up and down every single morning, and then I decide I'm actually going to keep my eyes up and get out of bed. It's very easy to do, to wake up. But what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 13 is way more than just getting up out of bed, way more than alarm clocks and snooze buttons. He's talking about some realities. He's talking about certain things that we need to just come into an awareness in a greater um, intensity and urgency if we are going to be transformed, impactful, if we're going to be men and women living the life that Lonnie was talking about on fire, expecting God to move in our lives. We need to come into this reality. text begins with a reference to knowledge. Paul says, understanding the present time. It's important for us to remember that Paul is writing to the Christians in the city of Rome. He's writing to people who were believers in Jesus Christ. He's not talking to them about salvation per se. Um, He's talking to them about the issue that these are men and women who are spiritually slumbering, spiritually sleeping. They're coasting. They're snoozing. He needed to wake some of them up. And we need to be woken up to a certain reality. See, the Bible talks about salvation in a couple of tenses. The Bible talks about salvation in the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense. Have you noticed that before? As you read the scriptures, you have been saved. I have been saved. That's speaking to the theological term of justification. I have been justified because of the work of Jesus Christ. I have been justified just as if I have never sinned. That is a work that was accomplished back when Jesus died on Calvary, and then he raised himself up from the grave through the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day at Easter Sunday. And he conquered the spirit of death. He took back the keys of life and he made possible life for every man. Justification. When we come into relationship with him, a past moment, a past action, we've become justified. 
But then the Bible also talks about us being saved. We are being saved. We are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is an ongoing process. That is speaking to the theological term of sanctification. We are being saved on a regular basis. It is a process. But then the Bible also talks about how we shall be saved. We will be glorified. That's the theological term, glorification. Three tenses related to this idea, to this reality that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 13. I have been saved in the past. God wants to do something in my life in the future. He has a plan for my future, a plan beyond this life. Therefore, there is a connection here. If there was something in the past, something longing and coming in the future, there has to be a reality also within this present life today. And that's what Paul is trying to wake up the church to, this reality. Wake up. You're not just looking past to something that I've already done for you through what Jesus has done for you. You're not just following after me what I've done in the past, but you're continuing to follow as I follow Christ. There is something that you are doing today because there is also a future reality and something that will be expected of you then. There is something that has to be done since something has been done for us. There's a response You need to do something as a response for what has been done for you. Justification is completely an act of grace from God. What he's done is his grace. Sanctification is also a grace of God. He is working in us the will and the work, the power that that we can be changed, that we can be transformed. He's doing all of that within us. But the reality is that process of now in the present, it can be resisted. Sanctification can be resisted. Salvation now in the present can be resisted. It can be resisted by our contentment. I'm content with what I have and what I've done and where I've gone, the sacrifices I've made. I've done enough. I'm content here. It can be resisted by apathy. Oh, I just could care less about that. Our brother said it is time that we would see the loss with a passion, with eyes of zeal, that we would see the needs around us. We can be limited and resist God's work of salvation in us by just being apathy and complacent it can be resisted by sin that three-letter word that we don't talk about often because nowadays everyone can do anything and everything and it's okay it's politically incorrect for us to be able to challenge someone else and and put and force on our opinions or our thoughts or our thea onto somebody else it that three-letter word it can be resisted by pure laziness I, i'm okay i'm good Uh, there's too much effort. I just don't want to do that. It can be resisted by by all of these things. And the reality is that we need to be woken up from what Paul is trying to get the people to realize. Yes, you were saved in the past. Yes, God has a plan for your future one day in heaven with him to reign. But yet he has a reality for you to live today. Being in God's will, being at the center of his desire, reaching the next level of your intimacy and relationship with him is not something that is automatic, but it's something that we need to intentionally engage in and wake up to. We need to be awake to what God wants us to do and that we have something that needs to be done today. We have some work to do. In 2023, 
and beyond. Yes, there's many different activities, lots of organizational things that we might implement and strategies and lots of goals that we may set. But one thing we need is a greater awareness of being awake to the reality that we are working out our salvation today. God is demanding something of me right now. God is expecting me to move. I will need to put in some effort. There is some activity that will need to be made. I will have to sacrifice something. There is a cost towards discipleship. There is something that he is expecting of me. Let me wake up to that reality and not just coast by saying, Lord, how come you didn't make me this or that or whatever? We need to wake up. Whether you're a morning person or not, you might be a night owl. It doesn't matter. Whatever uh, person you may be, wherever you fall in the spectrum there, if you're going to be effective at anything, if you're going to be successful, if you're going to advance, then you need to wake up. You need to wake up. Paul says, wake up, Romans, wake up to this reality. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 13, uh, 12 and 13. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness or not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissensions or jealousies. The second thing, if we're going to be transformed, it's very simple. We can do this. Church, we need to clean up. We need to take a shower. We need to wash up. We need to get into this attitude of having the Lord renew us and rewash us, reclean us. I hope that you don't wake up in the morning and just roll out of bed. Anybody do that? Don't admit it. Although you are in the place where you can confess and your sins shall be forgiven. Do you just wake up and roll out of bed? In the morning, immediately heading into work or to school or going about your errands? You know, you just get up and go? For most of us, that would be a very bad decision. For most of us, that would be a sure way for us to do the opposite of what Dale Carnegie said. We're going to alienate people and lose friends. We won't be influencing people and winning some friends. We will be doing the opposite. We don't just get up and go. No, most likely in the morning... You, maybe you take a shower. Maybe you like to take a shower in the evening. You can do that. But maybe you do it in the morning. At the very least, I believe most of us will go into the bathroom and at least wash our face. At least we'll brush our teeth because some of us do not want to be in a morning meeting with you if you have kicking breath. Matter of fact, uh, if you're married, you probably, your spouse is going to turn over and roll over if you uh, decide not to at least, at least pop a mint in. Okay. Honey, come here. I just want to give you a smooch. Uh, yeah, not interested. Not interested. Okay? At least we're going to, you know, wash up, freshen up. Some of us, uh, for sure, we're going to put on some deodorant. You've been in the meetings, haven't you? You've been in the subway or been in a crowded spot and somebody decides to praise the Lord or, or just to hold on to some. You've been in church and, and you're like, man, I wish this brother or sister would not praise the Lord this morning with lifted up of hands because they decided to walk into church without ever putting deodorant on. I joke and I make fun of the, the situation. Hey, if you're a circumstance and you can't do any of those things, talk to us. We'll help you out, all right? We, we'll, we'll see what we can do to help you out. But the point is, most of us 
have at least some sort of routine. If you are dating and the person says to you, honey, I wake up like this, man, just, just know that is not the truth at all. All right, if you're expecting that person to wake up all dolled up and, 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 and makeup and everything and looking the, best, the hair right on point, that's not true. Okay, those Instagram filters, that takes a long time to get ready. And if you look behind the scenes, it's totally, totally a different, different scenario. There's a process. There's a physical cleansing. There is something in terms of getting clean that we do. Similarly, Paul is saying every Christian, every follower of Jesus, there has to be a spiritual cleansing process as well. You can't just get up and go. You've got to do some spiritual washing, some spiritual cleansing. If you can just uh, endeavor to do this this year, wake up to the reality there's work to be done, and then get clean. Start cleaning some things up because there is an expectation here. You don't just roll up out of bed. Paul reminds the Roman, Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28, there's this idea and concept that Jesus Christ, he came, he died, that we will live, we will one day die. There's judgment. Jesus is coming back to judge. He's coming again. He is going to return. That idea is there. If they anticipated him all those years before, now, nearly 2,000 years later, how much closer are you and I to that reality being fulfilled? Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Tell your neighbor, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's got a plan, and he, his plan will be fulfilled. He is returning, and he's got something for us. Friends, that reality is true. And here's another reality. Some of us that started the year 2022 did not finish out the year with us yesterday. And that reality carries over into 2023 and beyond. There might be some of us in this very room that will not reach the end of 2020. I'm not prophesying that. I don't want to do funerals. I don't want you to be attending my own in 2023. But here's the reality. That truth will follow us into 2023. None of us know the time or the day or the hour in which we will have our last day. Sooner or later, we are all going to meet Jesus. And either we're going to meet him as the one who's going to say, welcome, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your eternal rest. Enter into your reward. Or we're going to meet him as the one who's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Every one of us will reach him one day and meet him face to face. This coming new year should remind us that, you know, time is always moving forward. It's like that track in Space Jam that goes, time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking into the future. Have you ever heard that song? That concept is going and going and never changing and never ending until God fulfills the purpose that he has with time. While the earth is, there will be summer and winter. There will be all that God has ordained until there is no more in his perfect plan. That should bring us into this view. Just like Job spoke when he was writing, uh, when, when, when the, the Bible writer wrote of Job's experience, my days are passing faster than the weaver's shuttle. Time is slipping by. And rather than us thinking every year that, that the, the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve, that, hey, I'm getting older, we should just be thinking this new reality, I'm getting closer. 
I'm getting closer. Every day that is done, I'm getting closer to Jesus coming back. Every day that is done, I am closer to meeting my maker. I am closer to the day that I get to witness him and experience from him all that he has in store for me. Every single day, we are getting closer. Paul says we are closer than ever before. If this next year would indeed be the year of the Lord, question, how would we live different? If this next year indeed was the year of the Lord, how would that impact our lives on a regular daily basis? Are we concerned about getting more organized and reading more books or, you know, accomplishing this feat or that feat? Can we restructure and keep it simple? Can I get dressed up because I'm getting closer to my Lord? And practically, he goes on and gives them a roadmap. He talks about several different things. But the point here is this. Let's not gamble with our eternity, church. Can we, every single day of this year, as we move into this new year, can we decide to not live like some who say, hey, you know what, I'm going to repent at the last moment that is possible in my life. The reality is none of us know when that moment will be. So why gamble with that reality? Why not get dressed up right now and change what we need to change? See, Paul challenges his hearers, and he challenges us by extension to be transformed. Say transformation. He wants us to transform our lives and experience God's transforming power by cleaning up our acts, by changing some things in our lives. The Christian is to live as though the final day has actually already arrived, as if Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is standing right here next to me. He is walking with me into the store. He is sitting with me on my couch. He is in the bedroom with me. He is there at the office. He's at the meeting. He is there in my traffic, uh, you know, session as I'm sitting in my car and I'm getting flustered. He is sitting with me. The hour is here. Jesus is present. There should be then no place for some of the conduct that we see out in the world, the conduct that Paul speaks about as those who are living in darkness, the conduct that you know that happens behind closed doors or when the lights are low and things are not as visible as if we could hide from the very presence of God. He tells us in the Psalms that the very darkness is light to him. We are not to live in the conduct like that. Paul describes the manner of their life in these three couplets. He talks about uh, emphasizing the first one that deals with intemperance. Don't live your life intemperately. Don't live your life with, with, um, without any limits and boundaries. Don't live your life in uh, sexual misconduct. Don't live your life in uh, contention and quarreling and, and issues with your neighbor and your brother and your fellow man. He wants us to wash ourselves from all activity that is anchored in unbridled passion. All activity that leads us to an ever-increasing perversion. You know that one sin calls another, don't you? Misery loves company, don't you? Have you ever heard of the illustration that if you want to keep a certain type of crab in a bucket, you don't, just, uh, put, you don't even have to put a lid on it, just throw another crab in there. The minute the, the first one starts reaching out and climbing out, the other one will reach back up and pull him down. Misery loves company. Sin invites more sin. Debauchery will cause you to go into more things. Drunkenness will take you into deeper things and bigger problems. And so he starts talking about all these different things, wash them off. 
Wash off the late night beer bashes and the happy hour of revelries. Wash off the online voyeurism and the extramarital affairs. Wash off all the hostile rhetoric and the readiness to cut someone down to size just because they got on your nerves. Wash off every single determined selfish act that seeks to elevate your own pleasures. Wash it off. That's what Paul is saying. Wash off the deeds of darkness. Friends, the opposite of living for God isn't living for the devil. Did you know that? Like, we, we, we know that there is a cosmic battle happening. There is, you know, we're, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. That, that's a reality. But you've got to understand that living not for God does not mean that you're living for that. It just means that I'm living for myself. Living for me. Maybe you look at these three couplets. You look at these, you know, th- this is not an exhaustive list of sins. These are just a few things that are most common to man. Things that are very easy to get into. And by the way, if you look at the recent series that we've been doing of easy sins that come into the church, these are things that also infiltrate and come into God's people's lives. And so maybe you look at this and say, yeah, I'm good. 2023, I'm awesome. I don't, I don't have that. I, I, don't, I don't get drunk. Kudos. I'm excited for you. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know what? I don't have an affair, so I'm, I'm faithful to my spouse. Amen. Praise the Lord. But here's the reality. That it's not, just if, if it's not just these things. Is there anything within your life, any habit, any attitude, anything that exists to only serve you, your way and your way alone, your desires, your pleasures, and that is the end all and be all? Is there anything related to that? Wash it off. Wash it off this year. The good news is that you can hop in the shower. You can brush those pearly whites. You can, because it tells us in the Bible that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. God has made a way for us where Jesus is now interceding on our behalf before the Father day and night. He has made a way. The word tells us, John told us, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us, wash us, redeem us, renew us of all unrighteousness. He has made a way that we can take a bath. We can wash ourselves. Whatever we've done in the past, whether it's one type of sin or another, the good news is that there is forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ. There is a way that he has made for us and we can be cleansed of all of that. And then in that shower, the only place that I will sing, we can say, I have been made whiter than snow. You can sing in that shower. You can sing in the reality that he has forgiven you if you confess your sins and you rid yourself of the filth. You can wash up you can sing that you are now whiter than snow. Paul says, church, can you resolve, decide to wake up? Can you resolve and be transformed by the reality of just cleaning yourselves up? But here, once you've done all that, can you please put on some clothes? Can you please dress up? See, he goes on and says this in verse 14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Someone say amen. amen. You need to be appropriately dressed for the day. Yep. Appropriately dressed for the day. See, we live in a culture that's increasingly casual. And I'm not talking about suits and ties and Sunday dresses in church, okay? I hope that you've gotten the message by now. I don't, you know, it was funny. I was in the office this week and I had a suit and tie on. 
because I had to go and officiate at an event. And someone came through and said, Pastor, wow, you look so handsome in, in that suit. And I'm like, okay, maybe I need to actually, you know, step it up a bit because I'm not hearing that often. Not that I need to hear that often. But I want you to understand and pay attention. I'm not talking about stepping in because uh, to church in your Sunday's finest, you know, all dolled up, dressed to the nines, suit and tie. That's the only attire. It's got to glitter and have glamour. And we have to go as if we're going to the prom or to the Oscars or to a red carpet event. That's not what I'm talking about because the reality is so many people, when they see that as the expectation, it alienates them from church. I've heard of, of people who've come into church and at the door they've been told, we don't dress like that here. And people have walked away and missed the message of hope of the gospel because a bouncer, I mean an usher at the door said, hey, you don't look good enough to be in God's house. I'm not talking about dressing in that Vain. So did you, do you understand that right now? Please say yes. Okay. What I'm talking about can be observed when you visit Walmart. Have you ever gone to Walmart? Our culture has become increasingly more casual. And that is a very loose term. Just look at the memes. They're not flattering. Uh, if you have, you know, accountability partners uh, for your online activity, don't look up the meme because, you know, you might see people there in, like, beach attire. And it might set off your filters, okay? But here's the deal. It is not flattering. You go to Walmart, and let's just say that the issue of the day is not overdressing. It's not a big danger in our culture. The pictures will show it. This is my personal conviction. You can take it or leave it. I'm not prescribing it to anybody. But I think if you're too sick or you're too tired to get out of your pajamas, then you probably are too sick or too tired to go to the store. That's, that's me, okay? My wife gets on my case because she says, you're not even going to wear your sweatpants. Like, people go to the gym like that. You can leave the house and go to the store. I'll go back in and change and put jeans or whatever because I just don't feel comfortable. That's me, my personal conviction. I'm not saying that you're sinning if you choose to go in your pajamas to work. That's on you. That's fine. Let the Lord speak to you. And that's fine. That's okay. All right? But here's the deal. Some of us, I think many of us, would never consider going to the store in our flannel, silky, you know, or silky pajamas. Some of us might not want to go to the store or go to a function or go to an event or show up, you know, in our big, bright, fluffy, oversized, you know, slippers. You know, some of you have like characters because you got kids on your slippers. You might not want to go with those to work. I understand. We wouldn't dare do that in certain scenarios. But what we don't often realize is that sometimes we're not spiritually dressed. Paul says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. The ESV puts it this way, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. The analogy is of a soldier who is donning on his armor, a soldier who is putting on his weapons of war, his clothes and armors of war. He is putting on something that he needs, casting away the blanket, throwing away the comforter, taking off the silky smooth pajama that will not do him any good and putting on some armor as he goes out. Notice its intentionality. 
Paul is calling the Christian to be intentional. If you don't like where you are spiritually, if you have not experienced God's power and move in your life currently, then you know what? Maybe there needs to be some more intentionality on you getting dressed properly for what's at stake. If you're gonna keep doing what you're doing, you know what the analogy goes and saying to, says, you're gonna get what you've always gotten. The word provision, it literally means a vision or a thought in advance. It talks about making a plan. So what Paul is saying is, I want you to put on Jesus Christ and make no thought in advance, make no preparations. How many of you guys have ever gone camping before? So you plan to, when you're camping, if you're going to be there for a while, most of us plan to eat while we're there. So you might make a provision and a plan to take some food, to take some cooking utensils, to take some you know, provisions in which you will be able to assemble your food and eat your food. We make some provisions. So when you go into battle, make some provisions. Don't make the provisions that's going to allow you to lose while you're in your battle. Don't take with you the things that will feed your flesh and cause you to actually be disqualified while you're fighting the battle. Don't take things that will detract from the mission and the vision and the purpose that God has for you, but take that which is going to help you. So, I think we have the picture. Paul's calling us to wake up. There's work to be done here and now. There is things that we need to wash ourselves from. We need to say good riddance, and then we got to put the opposite on and say, I'm going to clothe myself with Jesus, because it tells us that we can clothe ourselves in his righteousness. It's not my own. It's not what I've done. It's what he's done for me. It's how he has paid the price and the empowerment that he gives me through his Holy Spirit. I need to take that on and don that every single day, empowered to live and fight, because yes, there is a battle happening all around us. Lay siege to the flesh and starve it out. As we go into prayer and fasting this month, lay out your flesh and say, I'm going to starve you and I'm going to put on the armor of God. I'm going to put on the spirit man. I'm going to put on the, the thoughts of God, the meditations on the word. I'm going to put on God's ways and his plans. I'm going to meditate on his plans for me and put on Jesus Christ, letting go of all those other things. If it's unkind words you got to let go of, let them go. If it's, you know, uh, technology that's causing you to stumble, you let it go. Figure out whatever it is that you need to let go. If it's somebody, if it's a place, if it's a season, whatever it is that you have brought into your life, you've made provision for, you've been dressing yourself in, you need to let that go and choose what Christ offers instead. To dress up this new year is going to mean that some of us are going to put some people out of our lives. Maybe you got to put someone out of your life. Maybe you got to put a habit out of your life. Maybe you're going to have to put out a certain thing within your home out of your life. I don't know what it is, but the reality is there is an intentional thing you need to do if you're going to experience God's favor, grace, and success this year in your life. You need to deliberately, consciously accept the lordship of Jesus Christ. You might not know what it is, but here you can cover it all. Every single day, Lord, I choose to put on your lordship. I choose to say you are leader of my life today. 
Many years ago, there was these bracelets that came out, and then people started putting it on bumper stickers and on TVs, on ads, on anything Christian. Uh, there would be this, ac- the, the, this um, monogram, WWJD. You know what that is? What would Jesus do? Every single day, what would Jesus do? I need to put on Jesus. What would you do? You're here with me, Lord. What would you do in relationship to this Netflix show that I am watching? My wife sent me a, a meme, um, and it was this guy who's watching Netflix. He's like, every Christian, when they realize that the show just went a totally dark road, and you're like, yep, not, not me, not, not what I need. Maybe that's what we're going to need to do. Lord, what would you do here? Would you continue watching this? Or would you say, I got to close this down? Lord, should I be talking to my neighbor this way? Or am I going to put you on and say, I'm going to choose love? At every turn, Jesus won people over with love. He won people over with grace. He won them over again with forgiveness. We need to choose the deeds of God. I'm going to invite the team to come up. We're going to make it very practical, and we're going to step into communion in just a moment. There's a story that goes like this. There was a golf club owner who was lounging around his club late at night, and he was dressed in drabby clothes. The police grabbed this man, and they saw him just lingering and loitering, so they grabbed him and took him to jail. To much of their regret they realized that this man was actually the owner of the club. This man was missing the right clothes. He didn't look the part. Friends, this morning, on this very first day of 2023, my question is, what are you wearing? Not clothes-wise. What are you wearing in terms of your relationship with the Lord? What are you wearing in terms of the attitudes and activities and the things that are surrounding your life? the things that comprise your lifestyle. What are you wearing? When others look at you and what you are donning, what are they seeing? Friends, did you wash up or just roll out of bed? I was told when I was younger from my mom that when we sat at the table, I was to remove my baseball cap or whatever it is I had on my head before we ate. Some of us have rolled out of bed and we got a wild mane going on. We've rolled out of bed, we haven't, you know, maybe brushed our teeth. We haven't decided to cleanse some things that need cleansing. Well, there's coming a moment we're going to sit at the table of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And when we're face to face with Him, sitting with Him, there won't be any baseball caps or props that we can hide the filthy things behind. He's going to expose it all. Have we washed up? Are you fully awake and aware? The truth is, church, you can do this. There's so many things and so many ways that you can pursue success, efficiency, growth, God's plan for you in 2023 and beyond. There's a lot of things you can add to your life in terms of goals and resolutions. There's a lot of things. And I'm not saying that those things are bad. There's great books out there that you can read and that you can figure out how to habit stack and, and uh, you know, uh, set yourself up for success and figuring out your rhythms and your timing and, and how you tick and what works for you. There's lots of great resources for that. And you should be looking to improve. 
Because the reality is, experiencing all that God has for us is not automatic. There's work to be done. But here's what you can do. I can tell you this. I know you can wake up. I know you can clean up. I know you can get dressed. You don't need to lower your standards this year and so you can stick to your resolutions by the end of the year. You don't have to say, you know what, I'm going to stoop so low and say, I'm going to this year, here you go, I got your resolutions, I'm going to gain 20 pounds. I'm going to lose, you know, some money this year by eating out every day. I'm going to actually impulsively shop online more than I ever done before. You don't have to lower your standards. Can you just say, Lord, I'm going to choose to wake up to the reality that you're calling me to live above reproach. You're calling me to sacrifice. You're calling me to do something. You're calling me to clean up my act. You're calling me to dress in you, with you, model you, that others, when they see me, they see you. If you filter your life and your resolutions through these simple acts, these simple decisions, I'm sure he's gonna give you strategies and wisdom. He's gonna speak into your life in new ways that you can be efficient and effective and you're gonna see some of your goals accomplished because he said, seek first my kingdom and all these other things shall be added onto you.